Well, I don't know if you are familiar with Scott Morrison or not. Not exactly a household name in the United States. He's the new prime minister in Australia as of August the 24th of 2018. So he's been in office five, six months, something like that. So what does that have to do with Satan, the great deceiver? Uh, and, and no, I'm not identifying him as the great deceiver, nor the Antichrist, or uh, the one who is going to lead the forces of evil against the forces of good to the contrary. I, I, I start with him this morning because I think it's important for us to understand something about the culture that we're living in right now. His party uh, kind of ousted their, their leader, their uh, They're going through all kinds of political upheaval in Australia, just like in all the other parts of of the world, especially where there are democratic processes in place. His leader was ousted. He was voted and received more votes than the others. Uh, He grew up up in uh, his family. They were uh, actually religious people, moderately religious people, part of a conservative Presbyterian group. Uh, As he came to his college years, he wanted to go to seminary, actually wanted to go to study at Regent in uh, in Vancouver. And his father would not have any of that. And so he studied economics instead and uh, went the way of the political realm, uh, much to his father's approval. And... uh, uh, I would tell you, though, he was a very religious guy as he got married and uh, started his own family. Uh, he took his daughters out of public education and placed them in a private school. It was a private conservative Baptist school. And he said the reason he did that is so he could have more control over the values that they were being taught. And then uh, as, his, uh, as his political life continued and as his own evolution continued, he ended up in, uh, in uh, actually one of the more conservative uh, Pentecostal movements with a large Pentecostal group there in Australia. And uh, he was relatively unknown, though very prominent in his own party among his own peers. But on August the 24th, he became the Prime Minister of Australia. And you may imagine that those who are not, shall we say, conservative or even moderate, they went after him in a big way. There's a tremendous article about him right now in, uh, in a journal called The Monthly. And they were identifying how it is uh, that Pentecostalism or or the charismatic faith has been identified as Satan among liberals, but actually, that's not the point. The point I want to emphasize this morning is, this was a lengthy article, about about 10 pages, about Scott Morrison. Tremendous fear of him. Tremendous fear. Because he believes in a personal God 
and he believes in a personal Satan. He believes in absolute good and evil. He still, he, he still embraces this idea of personal, specific creation. And, and he believes that changes took place only within the same kinds or the same species through the year. But, but what is most unforgivable about him is that this guy believes in Satan. He believes that Satan is a real entity and the people are influenced by Satan. And we can't have that. Educated, sophisticated people can't have that. This article is exploring the secrets and the unknowns about this guy's religious faith that is going to affect and influence the direction of our country in Australia, he said. Folks, how is it that we've arrived at a point where belief in God and belief in absolute moral principles, belief in values, belief in the reality of Satan and evil in the world. It suddenly becomes this huge liability that is so to be feared that we simply cannot have it in the public square of contemporary society. How is it that we have arrived at such a place? Let let me say to you that in the beginning, in Genesis the third chapter, as Blake read to us this morning in our scripture reading, we are first introduced to Satan as he comes into the garden in the form of the serpent and he addresses the woman. And here is the key, and we begin with this this morning, that Satan understands if he can influence your mind, then he can control your life. The key to your life is your mind. If he can help influence the way that you think, then he is sitting with the remote control for your behavior. Because your behavior is controlled by the way that you are thinking. In Genesis chapter 3, when Satan comes into the garden, he immediately begins to challenge what the woman is thinking. What she's thinking about God. What she is thinking about her situation in life. What she is thinking about that particular tree and its fruit. What she is thinking about the specific instruction that she was given by God. I'm telling you, As casual as that conversation was, Satan is crafty. He is sly. He is smart. He's been at his business a long, long time. And he, in that one simple conversation, redirected the mind of both the woman and the man in such a way That on a dime, they turned against God, they ate of the fruit, and man's destiny on earth was forever changed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul 
uh, as he is writing and he is expressing his own concern about the Christians in Corinth and, and what they are dealing with. But he, but he said to them, I, I, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I espouse you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Verse 3. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve and his craftiness, your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity and the purity that is toward Christ. Do you see what Paul's fear was? That your mind would be corrupted away from the simplicity and the purity that is toward Christ. 2,000 years later, (laughs) we're living in a, a very complex world that assaults us with information from every side. But I fear that we are being corrupted from the simplicity and the purity that is in Christ. I beg you, by the mercy of God, present your body a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of the Lord. I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them. Because their hearts have been hardened. And being past feeling, they gave themselves up to sensuality, to lasciviousness, to to work all uncleanliness with greediness. You did not so learn Christ. If so be that you heard him, you were taught in him, even as the truth is in Jesus, put, put away your former manner of life, That old man that waxeth corrupt after the lust of deceit, deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man that after God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there's any virtue and any praise, think on 
these things. I'll tell you what Satan knows. He knows if he can help you think about other things. He's got you. The contest is over. If he can just get in the driver's seat of your thinking. If the man thinks in his heart. Folks, that's who he is. That's who he is. Now, I, I say that to you to say <clears throat> that We ought to be concerned about what we're thinking. And we ought to be concerned about who is in the driver's seat of our thinking. And parents, I want to say something to you. If you're not scared to death about this, get scared. It matters who is influencing the mind of your child. It matters. God gave to your child one father and one mother. You have a job to do that is unique to you. Lots of friends, lots of acquaintances, lots of uh, life experiences out there, but one father and mother, and you have precious little time to get your job done. It matters who is influencing the mind of your child. And it matters what is influencing your child. Is your child being influenced by an environment that is unhealthy, that is unholy, that is ungodly? Get him out of it. Get him out of it. You can't let your child's mind be negatively influenced by something that is going to destroy him. Is your child being influenced by, by, uh, by certain activities that he's involved in that are obviously detrimental to his spiritual development? Get him out of it. Get him out. It matters. It matters. Satan wants to control the way your child thinks. His target is the mind. I want to tell you something, mom and dad. He wants your mind too. He doesn't just want your six-year-old or your 12-year-old or your 18-year-old. He wants your mind too. And he'll give you 24-7 cable news piped in day and night. One commentator after another. He will give you all kinds of messages in music media. Some of which are benign. Some of which are ungodly.
Satan will give you all kinds of cultural and peer messages, moms and dads. Be careful about that. Be careful about what's causing you to think the things that you are thinking. Be careful about why suddenly you're concerned about something or you're obsessed with something or this particular aspect of life has become so important to you. Why? Because it is important or because someone else has made that important for you? Who's in the driver's seat of what you're thinking about? Satan wants to control your mind. And I'm saying to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, if Satan gets in control of our mind, he's got our life. He's got it. His weapon is the lie. The first thing he did with the woman was lie to her. He said, did God tell you not to eat of the fruit of this tree? Well, God said, we could eat of the fruit of all the trees of the garden that save this tree. And this tree, he said, don't eat it. Don't even touch it, lest you die. And Satan said, you will not I want to tell you, one of the things in the article that was so interesting to me, and it is classic postmodern reaction to someone who still believes in absolute truth. But in that article about Scott Morrison, one of the things that the writer just is just repelled by, by this is that Scott Morrison still sees good and evil as black and white. Did God tell you you would die? You will not die. I want to tell you something, folks. It can't be both ways. You'll either die or you won't die. But it can't be both ways. There's not a lot of in-between. I'll tell you what happened in the very beginning in the garden. Satan, the great deceiver, lied to the woman. And her husband, the text says, who was with her. Silent, of course. And that woman heard and believed and obeyed a lie. Isn't it interesting that the entire system of justification that has as its climactic event the atonement on Calvary, is all predicated on hearing and believing and obeying truth. Satan questioned God's word. Did God really say that? He denied God's word. You will not surely die. The woman changed God's word. God told us we couldn't eat of that tree, couldn't even touch it. The text doesn't say God said they couldn't touch it.
It was a lie. I'll tell you something that Jesus said about Satan. He said he's a liar. He also said he's good at it. He is the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning. Have you ever seen... uh, You ever seen a situation, especially with, with a child, because children, until, until they are conditioned differently, children are transparent and innocent. <clears throat> Have you ever seen a child who was trying to tell a lie, but he didn't know how? He just wasn't a good liar. He had no experience and <laughs> was... Obviously, not skilled at it. Good. And every mother and father ought to pray that that kind of transparency and naivety would follow that child for the rest of his life as it pertains to truth. But I'll tell you what's dangerous about Satan. Sometimes you, you, you see someone who's telling a lie, and it's just, it's so obvious they're telling a lie. Not Satan. Nope. He's good. He's really good. And his greatest weapon... His greatest weapons are the lies that are told. In, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said that's exactly what's coming. And it's exactly what is going to take you. The Spirit says expressly in the latter times, some are going to depart from the faith. They, they are going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons through the hypocrisy of men that speak lies. Through the hypocrisy of men that speak lies. Branded in their own conscience as with an iron. Do you know why God gave parents the responsibility of taking care of the children? It's because they need the nurturing and the protection that parents provide. You need to protect your child from the lie. One of the ways you protect your child from the lie is to protect your child from the liar. And one of the ways you protect your child from the lie is to expose the lie. I want to tell you, our children are living in a world that is full of lies. And parents ought to be tired at night from the constant exercise of continually in the ears and the hearts of their children exposing all of the lies that are around them. You see that? It's not like that. Do you see how happy they appear? That's not a happy thing to do. Let me tell you why. Our children need to understand the, uh, the seriousness and the pain that is associated with the lie. Satan's objective 
in the end. He wants us ignorant. The Word of God is inextricably related to the will of God. If Satan can keep us ignorant of God's Word, then Satan can keep us ignorant of God's will. I will tell you, one of the reasons that people today are saying strange things about, well, I think God would be okay with this. Well, I don't think God would have a problem with it. It's not just because they don't know the will of God. It's because they don't know the Word of God. What do you think Jesus would do? Why don't you read the book and find out? That's where it is. That's where the answer lies. The Apostle Paul said, we need to let the Word of God dwell in us richly. With all wisdom. I'll tell you what Satan wants more than anything else. He wants to keep us ignorant of his word. We're living in a culture that is not very facilitating to our study of the word. We better just overcome the culture. Well, you know, we just, our lives, we just live so fast. We don't have time to do a lot of Bible study in our home. Well, then something needs to change. Well, you know, I just, I, I, I wanted to study with the kids, but we just never seemed to find the time. You better seem to find it. Something's got to go. Something's got to change. Something's got to give here. It's important. It, it means that we're not going to live like everybody else. We're not going to prioritize life like everybody else. And we're not going to do the things that everybody else is doing because some of our time is going to be spent obviously, clearly, and directly studying the Word of the Lord. When Jesus had His face-to-face confrontation with Satan, over and over again, Satan said, Hey, how about this? And Jesus said, It is written. Over and over again, the temptation, the challenge of Satan was met with the Word of God. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. It's not enough that we just teach our children a memory verse. Our children need to have a practical working knowledge of the Word. That that is to say, not, not only being able to recite it, But understanding its meaning and its application in life, that is why in our Bible classes, it is important that we get the facts. Listen to me. Truth. Truth is revealed in facts. It is important that we get the facts. But listen. The fruition comes. When we show the application of those facts to the real life and the real world in which we are living. That's where the rubber hits the road. And our children need to know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But they need to understand what are the implications of that and how does that affect my life and what does that mean for me. And God said, let us make man in our own image. And in his own image, he created man, male and female. He created them. Okay, but what does that mean? 
It means, among other things, that mankind is unique. We are not dogs. We are not zebras. We are not animals. We are made in the image of the living God. We are unique. We are different. And our children need to know that we are what we are because in the beginning God created us this way. And I want to say this to you in closing. We're, we're, we're living in a world that is terribly, terribly confused. And a world that is not moving more and more toward God. That's no surprise. But I want to say to you, don't, don't despair. I'm, I'm not despairing. In the first century, as the Roman imperial cult was threatening the lives and, and, and the blood of the early Christians, and it seemed as the clouds were getting darker and darker and the persecution was becoming more and more ominous as it hovered over, uh, over the households of those who were upholding the name of Jesus Christ in the midst of Roman paganism. It, it seemed that there was no hope. In the book of Revelation, John is saying to the Christians, no, God is declaring from heaven, there is not only hope, there is victory here. You stay with me because the lamb that was slain has overcome the world. The spirit of God is greater than that of the great deceiver. And John said to the Christians, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. It's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Now, not everybody believes. You read about them as you get to the next verses. The ones who refuse to have God in their knowledge, after God had expressed Himself, both His power and His divinity through the things that He made so that they were that, without excuse for not knowing Him. When somebody says, I... I don't believe that there is a God. Well, let's see you make yourself. And then remake yourself. Why don't you just make a horse or a cow? Or even a little bug. The Apostle Paul said, I'll tell you what happens, he said. I'll tell you what happens to people who refuse, not who can't, who unfortunately they never had the opportunity to know God. God has revealed himself. Paul said, I'll tell you what happens to people who refuse to have God in their knowledge. They start saying and doing things that are unthinkable. And in the end, and in the end, those cultures self-destruct over and over and over again.
God said to his people in the first century, as they were hurting and suffering and they were surrounded by sophisticates, he said, look, don't, don't be discouraged and don't let the purity and the sincerity of your mind be, be distracted or be corrupted by all of that stuff. And remember this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That's who we are. And it is because of the lamb that was slain who is seated on the throne of God. And when God asked the question, who is worthy to open the seals? The lamb was worthy to open the seals. And you know why? Because he overcame. We're going to eat the bread and we're going to drink the cup. And we're going to remind each other and declare to the world, even as we declare to God, we are one with the Lamb in this. In this world you will have tribulation, Jesus said, but don't you worry. I have overcome the world. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, won't you come in obedience to the gospel of Christ and give yourself to the one who is the Lamb of God, who was slain, who lives and reigns forever. If you're a child of God and you need to come home to Him, won't you do that? This morning while we stand and sing, we invite you to come.